You're listening to Pythagoras' Trousers. Hello and welcome to the first Pythagorean Astronomy of 2019 with me, Chris North, and I'm joined again by Edward Gomez. Hi, Chris. Good to be back. Uh, so, uh, it's quite an exciting start to the, uh, the year, really. Uh, we've got a, a lot of stories that have uh, taken place. Um, let's start off. We'll be talking later on about the New Horizons probe going past a distant object out in the Kuiper belt right near the edge of the solar system. Let's start a little bit closer to home. Let's start on the moon, uh, if we can. Um, with uh, a lander um, and a rover called, Ch- uh, the mission is called, I think Chunga 4 is the pronunciation, from what I can gather. Okay, from yeah, lots of people will call it Chang'e 4. Which is how it's spelt in, uh, in English, at least. Um, so this is a Chinese mission, it's gone and landed on the moon, uh, and it's gone and landed uh, somewhere we've not landed before. Yeah, the far side of the moon. Uh, often people call it the dark side of the moon, but obviously it's... Only from our perspective, yeah. uh, it does get illuminated by the sun um, because it's in a, a captured orbit. So it goes around the Earth and does get illuminated. So the far side of the moon. Um, and uh, it's uh, very, very interesting um, to see things from the moon. I actually have a very fond place in my heart for the moon. And I'm very sad that there, are, there haven't been any uh, crewed missions mm. I mean crude with a EW, not a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to the moon, because uh, it's, our, it's our nearest celestial neighbour, natural uh, neighbour, and uh, yet it's, it's sadly overlooked. Um, I always had a fondness for, for moon bases uh, mm. when I was reading science fiction as a kid, and I always think it's a bit of a shame to go to Mars when the moon's so close. Yeah. Um, the, the, the fact that we can land things on the far side of the moon, so this is, this is a place on the moon that we never see directly from Earth, so to communicate with the lander, they need a relay satellite, another satellite in orbit around the moon that they can talk via. So that's been an additional challenge for uh, for this mission. Um, it really highlights quite the, the technological achievements over the last few few decades. The fact that we can do that and go and land something somewhere we can never directly see uh, as well. Yes, that's right, because normally what you would have in uh, in space missions is that you may have a relay, but you you would always try and maintain some sort of line of sight communication with the thing that you're, you're, you're landing or mm. your, uh, your spacecraft. Uh, and now that we can't, we never can, um, is, like you say, a real technological feat, even though it's relatively close. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, a lander and uh, a, a rover called... Uh, U-2-2, yeah. uh, which means Jade Rabbit 2, I think. Uh, yes, I think that's right. Um, and they, they took selfies of each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or themselves with the other one in the frame, I guess. Yeah. It wouldn't be a yeah. selfie otherwise. No. Uh, so the U-2-2 rover um, is currently, it's uh, as, as we record this, it's full moon, which means the far side of the moon is pointing away from the sun. Uh, which means it's in darkness. So they're currently in hibernation. Um, they've got little heaters to keep them warm, I think, so they don't get too cold. Um, but they'll pick up their operations again uh, in due course. Uh, they're sitting in a very deep impact basin on the far side of the moon. And in fact, I think parts of that impact basin are thought to be deep enough that whatever created it excavated the mantle of the moon beneath the crust of the moon. So they're a very exciting geological place uh, to go and visit. Uh, Chunga 4 has got a, uh, a radio telescope. So there's been a lot of talk recently, or over the years, about the best place to put a radio telescope to get out of the interference from mobile phones and Wi-Fi and general earthbound communications um, is to go for far side of the moon. And uh, now we have. Um, yeah, so and actually, that's a, it, it really is a stroke of genius because 
the rest of the moon is providing your shield from all of the the communications. Remember, um, radio waves are photons, so this travel in straight lines. Uh, they're bent a little bit by the the gravity of the moon, but but not enough so that they would interfere with um, the view that uh, that uh, Chunga Four is going to see. Yeah, um, it's not just a Chinese mission. I think there are there's some German involvements on the instruments on either the the lander and or the rover. Um, but it's going to be exciting to see what comes out of it as the, the results continue to flow. We d- typically don't get a huge amount of information out of the Chinese Space Agency. Um, They've actually been pretty good yeah. this time, though. They've given uh, the press quite high-quality pictures of um, the the landing. You can actually see yeah. the full descent, which yeah. is quite a bold move. Um, and then high-quality pictures from the surface of the moon itself. Yeah. So do go and, and look those uh, look those up. Uh, they're on online. They're on social media as well. So uh, it's spelt Chang C H A N G apostrophe E is uh, uh, the the spelling of the rover and then and then four sorry the spelling of the lander and then, and then four Chang'e four. So that's uh, the moon. Um, other missions that are being uh, contemplated uh, is is missions to Titan. Now Titan is a, uh, a, a the largest moon of Saturn. Um, it's the one of the only objects in the solar system or the only rocky objects to have a very thick atmosphere. Its atmosphere is even thicker uh, than the Earth's. Um, we know Titan has uh, liquid on its surface, standing liquid on its surface. These lakes of methane and ethane hydrocarbons uh, on its surface. Far too cold for liquid water, um, but it has hydrocarbons. Um, there have been proposals in the past. We've Actually, we've had a lander to Titan, of course. We had uh, Huygens. Huygens, yeah, uh, from, the, from yeah. the original Cassini mission. It was, a, it was dubbed the Cassini-Huygens mission because... Uh, on board Cassini was Huygens that was then dropped down onto the surface of Titan. Uh, so that that landed on what looked to be an old lake bed or something of uh, or a riverbed. That's a very smooth yeah, stone right. there. Um, we know there's liquids, standing liquids, lakes and rivers and so on on Titan uh, as well. There've been proposals in the past for a boat to go and float <laughs> on uh, on one of these oceans, but there's been a new proposal now. Um, for something to go and fly around Titan. Yeah, a, a little dragonfly. It's a it's a quadcopter, and uh, I think this is actually ideal in many ways because you've got a thick atmosphere. You couldn't do this on the surface of the Moon or on Mars because you don't have really an atmosphere to speak of. So uh, having something that um, is like a little uh, drone that you can uh, buzz up and down mm. uh, it, to sample different patches of Titan. I think is is a really exciting prospect. Now, again, doing the communication between the people who are controlling where the drone goes and the drone itself is going to be a huge technical challenge, um, mostly because it's so far away. So if it does run into something that it looks like it either won't be able to take off from or it's an area where when it lands it's going to cause it problems, uh, that could... um, be a, a significant problem because it might just get destroyed uh, mm. when it lands because it's going to be quite fragile. Uh, it, it does sound like a, a really fascinating idea. It means you can explore much more of the the surface than you would possibly even with a, a rover. Oh yeah, um, but much more than with a rover because rovers move incredibly slowly. Um, that's partly because uh, they are very cautious, but partly because they don't know what the, the, the terrain's going to be in. And a rover that gets stuck in a, in a drift of whatever the, the, the regolith is, whatever the, the mm. surface of the, the planet or moon is, uh, is then useless. So 
uh, rovers do tend to move very, very cautiously and very slowly. This could potentially take a sample and then just like a dragonfly float away and uh, sample other patches of, of the surface. Titan, I think, is, uh, is, is quite Earth-like, but uh, also quite, uh, quite different. Obviously, it doesn't have liquid water on the surface. Titan is predominantly um, land uh, with, with lakes and rivers and, um, and sea and maybe even seas on it. So it'll be very, very interesting to see if this, this does get uh, a, the official go-ahead. It's a, I think it's a NASA mission that's being proposed. Uh, and it's up against, I think, uh, other things like uh, flying into a, a, the tail of a comet again. Um, so it all depends whether the, the great and the good people of the NASA scientific committees decide whether this is worth doing. And, this, and it's not too risky as well. It's not, yeah, it's got to be not too risky. The, the timescale for this, this is, these are different proposals for a mission that's going to do something in the solar system in uh, about the, the launch in the mid-2020s, and it takes it getting on for a decade to get to, yeah. to Titan, so it's the mid-2030s when it launches. That's pretty quick for a mission. It's gonna, you know, the the launch, launch window is about seven years away, which is, is not far for a space mission. But as you say, it's in competition at the moment with other missions um, that will be proposed. That's the way a lot of these science um, projects are, are decided upon. There's, there's, a, there's a short list of missions that they have to... Uh, compete against each other so that could be very exciting uh, to see how that uh, develops as well over the coming uh, coming years so um, the, the decision on what happens is due to, to happen later this year uh, staying with Saturn and the Cassini mission that we mentioned earlier regarding uh, the, the, the Huygens lander um, Cassini orbited Saturn for 13 years and one of the fascinating things about the planet Saturn it's famous for its impressive ring system uh, of course um, the rings are, have always been a bit of a mystery about where they came from, but the Cassini results have been highlighting, um, if not exactly where they came from, how old they are. Yeah, and they're a lot younger than we previously thought. It's because they're such an established part of the solar system, you tend to think about them as being there since the formation of the solar system, since the planets were planets. But actually, it seems like, uh, do you, from some current research, that they're they're relatively recent, like really recent, from uh, anywhere between 10 million and 100 million years old. So they could have appeared while the dinosaurs were still walking the Earth. For Um, for context, Saturn formed about when the Earth formed, which is about four and a half billion, so four and a half thousand million years ago. So they're very young compared to the planet. Um, And uh, they, looking comparing the measurements that they've recently made of the mass of these and measurements of how much of the... Because um, gravity always works in an attractive way, so the rings are gradually falling onto the surface of Saturn and at, a, at a rate of something like uh, an Olympic-sized swimming pool every half an hour. And uh, uh, so that's quite a lot, but they're quite big. Um, yeah. But in about 100 million years, they will be gone so we're about midway through the life of the rings. Now, there would have been lots, lots more ring material in the past, and they would have been really spectacular. But we're also really, really lucky to be around mm. now because, you know, in, in 100 million years' time, there wouldn't be any rings at all. Yeah. It's also... The interesting thing about the rings is also how bright they are. So if you, most stuff out in space is actually very, very dark, darker than coal, uh, because it gets covered in this, this thin layer or sometimes a thick layer of... of dust essentially um the rings are very bright they're made of icy particles um and the fact that they're so bright also indicates that they're probably not very old because they haven't had time to get very dark i think that's one of the other other considerations yeah that's right 
it, it's quite interesting as well that there there is quite a finite timescale for which uh, Saturn has these rings. There are other planets in the solar system that have very, very small rings, and maybe they had more impressive rings in the past, and they've suffered the same fate. We just happen to be seeing Saturn in a very uh, unique time. There are two main theories of how the rings formed originally. One is that they formed from material that was too close to Saturn um, to actually be able to form a moon in the first place because it got pulled up. Every time it tried to form a larger moon, it got ripped apart. Um, the other option is that uh, a moon that was close got uh, destroyed, essentially. A, an impact or something broke bits off that a moon, or maybe a moon, moon got broken into lots of pieces, and the debris got spread out into the rings. And I guess this presumably favours that latter, that, that second explanation, that there was there was a moon there, or there was something there that got blasted into pieces. Yeah, some sort of collision, and it's it's not an extreme theory. Uh, it's, it's, you know, one of the things that, uh, one of the, the reasons that we have such a large moon ourselves going around the Earth um, is a collision, a potential collision when the Earth was molten, something the size of Mars ripped into it. Um, or and there's also uh, the, the moon Mimas, which had a collision that l- has left it looking a little bit like the Death Star. Mm. And if that collision had been any bigger, it just would have totally shattered the moon. Yeah. Uh, so these things, these things do happen, particularly there was a period in the solar system where there was a lot of stuff flying about, the period of heavy bombardment. Um, and if something ha- if there were uh, moons around at that time that were bombarded with asteroids and 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 comets and big objects, then it could be um, that you know there's plenty of, of, of scope that this is where the the moon came from, mm-hmm. that this is where the rings came from. Certainly, uh, lots to be discovered from from data from the Cassini mission, which now ended. It ended in uh, 2017, so about a year and a half, getting on for a year and a half ago now when the mission uh, came to an end. Um, But still lots of things, lots of discoveries coming uh, out of that. I'm sure many, many more uh, to come. Now, the the most exciting thing at the start of the year uh, was uh, probably the flyby of the New Horizons probe past an object out uh, in the Kuiper Belt, uh, officially designated 2014 MU69. Now, it's a bizarre object, um, and uh, very very surprising observations when New Horizons flew past on New Year's Day uh, earlier this year. To find out more about how surprising it is and uh, what we're learning from it, uh, I spoke to Professor Jane Greaves, who's a researcher here in Cardiff, who uh, looks at the formation of the solar system. Jane, an exciting time in solar system exploration, the most distant object we've ever flown past. It's amazing, yes. I mean, there's several missions from different countries as well, visiting small rocks scattered around the solar system. So we've had a flood of um, images um, of very different objects. But this is so exciting because it's the furthest we've ever really visited something, even though we couldn't stop, you know, and Mm. dig up bits or something. It was amazing. Before the spacecraft even got there, normally with these kind of objects, if you, if you compare with other missions that have gone to objects in the solar system, we've had ground-based observations from telescopes on Earth or maybe in orbit around Earth, the Hubble Space Telescope and so on, that have looked at the objects and been able to figure how fast they're rotating and, and so on to get some basic information. And with this, we know almost we knew almost nothing about the object when we went in. We just knew it was small. Yes, it was actually discovered, it was searched for while New Horizons was on its way to Pluto because um, we needed a, a dedicated um, search of the area of the sky where the spacecraft might end up, and that just hadn't been done. Um, so the whole approach process was very exciting. So people had observed to some extent once we knew where it was going, 
Um, and there were some quite puzzling things. So, for example, um, the light curve didn't change very much. And normally you get, like, you're looking at it end on and then side on and so on. So the, 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 how bright it appears yes. reflecting sunlight. Exactly. Yeah. So if you think, um, if you were staring at a potato in your hand, and for some reason you were turning this potato around, you wouldn't see so much potato when you're looking at the yeah. end of it, depending on what kind of potatoes you buy, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it turned out that this particular object was, like, um, more or less like um, two balls stuck together but mm. they happened to be rotating side by side as the spacecraft saw them and as the Earth saw them. So that made sense. It's like You were basically seeing the same thing um, all the time. So it's almost like the shape of this thing has been described as a snowman. It yes. just after Christmas <laughs> in the winter yeah. here in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> but um, you can think of it almost, if you thought of it like a skittle, like a bowling yes, pin. Yes, exactly. Um, then that's pointed with the small end or one of the ends pointing towards us. Um, no, exactly. It's the other way around. Um, uh, so okay. if you had your snowman, if you turned your snowman so he was standing on his head somehow, right. he would show you the same amount of light. Oh, so it's it's, it's cartwheeling around the so sky. So it's a cartwheeling snowman in space, yes. Excellent. That's quite exciting. The other really interesting thing is we had a guess at the shape beforehand. So people raced around with telescopes on the Earth, portable telescopes, trying to spot um, when this object would cross in front of a distant background star. And by putting telescopes in different places, you get a slightly different view. Mm. So, you know, if the lump at one end um, doesn't cross the star from a telescope somewhere on the Earth, you get some clues about, you know, whether there's two lumps there or not. And amazingly, that team had put together a picture before New Horizons got there that showed very much the shape that really was there. So that's a really impressive example of things you can do by ingenuity from telescopes on the Earth. But the images you get, the information you get there is nothing compared to what you get by going within a, a few thousand kilometres oh, yeah. of, of the object. It gets a little bit closer. For, for comparison, this thing is out beyond Pluto, as you mentioned. New, New Horizons flew past Pluto in uh, June 2015. Um, Pluto's a few thousand kilometres across. Maybe four or five thousand, something Only about like. two thousand, in oh, fact. Yeah, okay. it really is a dwarf planet, yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> this object is then even smaller than... Pluto. Oh, it's much, much smaller, yes. I think it was about 30 kilometres is the measurement they've got. So it's not the smallest rock we've flown past in the solar system, but it's, um, you know, the size of a, a sprawling city or something, yeah. Yeah, rather than the size of, of our moon. Yes. Uh, so actually getting close to it has been a, a, a bit of a job in targeting the thing to, to get yes. so close. It's, it's as so well small. as the distance. Yeah. So as I was saying, you know, about 32 units to Pluto. I think it's about 40 units um, to this object. So that's adding on another, like... Um, Earth to Saturn type voyage. So it's been incredible. It's going really fast. Yeah, so that's what was that? Uh, something like four four billion miles, six and a half billion kilometers, something like that. It's yes. a long way it's away. A very long yeah. way away. Um, mm. and, and that's one of the reasons why the information we get back comes in so slowly. Yes, so that it's going to take them, I think they said a year or something, to download the data. So hopefully there's a lot more images there and some of what the other instruments saw. But the data rates are incredibly slow. It's like having, you know, one of the first home computers or something and waiting for some data yeah. to come out of it. Uh, I think it's coming, I think it's something like 200 bytes a second. Yes. Um, which considering so for we have... comparison, I think the um, the Soviet Vega lander that landed on Venus in the 1980s had a slightly higher data rate. And considering that was trying to get its signal out from, you know, the hellhole of the atmosphere of Venus with 1980s technology, or possibly yeah. early 90s technology. It just tells you how hard this is. Yeah, so this is uh, it's, it's a long, long way away with only a, a relatively small... Um, uh, small radio dish. So in a couple of years, we'll have a much, much better picture of it. Um, 
what we do know is it's got this odd shape, this this two two balls stuck together. Mm. Um, we see that kind of structure surprisingly often now. Yes, so astronomers are really excited about how you can make this. You think it's quite hard to stick a snowman together. The yeah. head falls off, right? You don't think this is a natural thing. But if you think of the um, the comet that the Rosetta spacecraft went mm. and observed and the Philae lander landed on, um, that one looked a bit like you know a rubber bath duck, but it was basically a ball stuck on a potato kind of thing. Mm. So a lot of people are excited about how can you make this happen? So I think one of the ideas is that um, maybe these things are not very well held together. It looks like quite a solid rock but it could be made of a lot of sort of rubble um mm. rather more loosely stuck together with a coating of um cosmic dust on top mm. so the idea is that these things spin and perhaps that means one end comes off a bit um, right. but then if you have further um sort of meteorite sized objects hit it the two things could move back together again so that's one theory is the um the head of the snowman is very loosely stuck on there's mm. another exotic theory I've heard people talking about saying, well, the thing is spinning, and so the sunlight hits bits that are sticking up. So if it had some bits sticking up, it's possible that the um, light is re-emitted from those, um, say, from the other side of that mm. little tiny mountain peak or rock or whatever, and that gives the object more spin. So um, that can affect whether things, the head of the snowman stays on or not or whether it drifts away. So so far we haven't found any objects where the head's head of the snowman has sort of <laughs> just gently fallen off but yeah. um i was looking very the, unexpected there's a, there's a a collage of the, all the objects that we've the small objects we we've been to uh so far um and a lot of these do seem to be two objects um stuck in fact something of, of all the objects we've flown past with spacecraft something like half of them now appear yes. to be binary in this, this yeah sense. this is not the kind of potatoes we were expecting from asteroids which are much more held together um so some of those are probably remnants of a planet um that um didn't end up stable so they're really much more like a lump of rock interestingly some of the other spacecraft that are visiting tiny objects um so let me see if i can get the names of the spacecraft right so the japanese hayabusa mission mm-hmm is at the Ryugu mm-hmm. asteroid, which looks more like if you took two pyramid-shaped objects and slapped them together base-to-base, you get yeah. a kind of diamond thing. And the American mission, which I think is Osiris-Rex, mm-hmm. is at the Bennu asteroid, also looks like two pyramids yeah. together. So suddenly with these detailed pictures, we say, well, completely different things are going on with these rocks. And actually, if you go back to the 1980s and spacecraft that flew past uh, Halley's Comet, Mm, in 1986 Um, a lot of the photos of that make it look like just this irregular shaped object but actually you could interpret some of those pictures as being two objects stuck together as well. So has this led to reevaluating what a lot of these objects are, do you yeah, think? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not sure what people are saying about that, but um, maybe a lot of the listeners are young enough not to remember, but yeah. I do remember. And in fact, we knew so little about comets at the time that the Halley spacecraft, um, the Giotto spacecraft, was programmed to look for the light bits, so its mm. cameras tracked the light parts. And that turned out to be wrong because the nucleus of the comet was dark. So yeah. we all 
almost didn't get the picture yeah. at all because the light parts were the material um, evaporating that makes the, the tails of comets. So I think it's hard from those pictures because it's rather obscured by the cameras going, oh, look, shiny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not getting such a great picture of the nucleus. It's maybe yeah. hard to say what it looked like. But, you know, Halley will be round again in another whatever it is, I don't know, 50 years or yeah. something. So we should get a better picture. We should go and land on it this time. <laughs> Track it around its 76-year orbit around yes, the Yes, absolutely. The Take people to visit it. Yeah. We should have the technology in that time, I think. <laughs> now, there are plans for New Horizons to possibly go and visit a final object. Yes. They reckon it's got enough fuel. So after yes. MU69 to maybe get to one more object out in the solar system, um, I guess there must be searchers on for somewhere to go. Yeah, I think they weren't sure how much fuel they could conserve and it, they made a very clever and small course adjustment after Pluto to get to MU69 and I think they only used about a third of the fuel reservoir. So it looks very hopeful. Again, we're still you know, doing frantic searches of the sky to say what's next in a direction where you make a you know, a tiny tweak and make a slightly different visit. But um, I know one of the reasons after New Horizons passed Pluto was that Pluto and that part of the solar system, from our point of view, are almost towards the centre of the galaxy at the moment. Yes. And so actually there's, there's an awful lot of stars towards the centre of the galaxy. Yes. Looking for another tiny star-like object in our telescope images that is moving very slowly is really hard. Um, yes, the some of the images where they discovered MU69, you're like, really? Is it really yeah. there? <laughs> they did an incredible job with you know advanced data science and data sorting. Um, so that's um, at least the techniques are now in place um, and they're going to get these star fields and eliminate all the clever things we can do now like stars varying and that kind of things and I'm really hopeful they'll find another target Um, so why the Kuiper belt has an outer edge which is probably at about 50 earth sun units out um, is not very well understood so if we can get a bit further out and go are the objects different out there are they all dancing about more or something that will be really exciting and, of course, long-term New Horizons is going to leave the solar system. Yeah. Um, it's going fast enough that it will escape the sun's uh, gravitational pull entirely. And, and fingers crossed its power systems, which is sort of radioisotope, they're almost yeah. nuclear power generators, um, fingers crossed they survive long enough to get back a bit more information about the very edge of the That would be great because it's our fastest ever spacecraft. Quotes and send anything back, that would be awesome. We know about the Voyagers sending things out from very far away, and you know that's a seventies technology. I think the last of the engineers are still alive to say, you know, this is how you can get the signals back. So that's amazing. But New Horizons going so much faster. I really hope there's um, plans in place that can, uh, you know, really get outside the solar system and tell us about the, the next part of space. Well, uh, we'll await forthcoming images and results and data from the New Horizons spacecraft about MU69 over the coming months and the coming year or so. Uh, But for now, uh, Professor Jane Greaves, thanks very much. Thank you. Well, and Edward, after the excitement of the, the Christmas break and New Year and so on, um, we had another treat in store with uh, with this New Horizons flyby. Um, uh, it was fascinating to sort of watch the images come through. Yeah, and, and New Horizons is uh, a really fantastic mission anyway. It's given us unprecedented views of the furthest objects in the solar system. And now it's you know, this Kuiper Belt object is... Um, uh, is the furthest thing that has ever been imaged um, by um, by humanity. Yeah. So it's uh, a technological experience. Um, the, the technology needed for that is just outstanding. Uh, I remember when we saw the beautiful views of Pluto from New Horizons and the, the lovely heart shape on it. Mm. 
And that has given us a, a quite unprecedented understanding of, of Pluto, this, this dark and interesting world that many thought for a while. And, uh, and, and now it shows that actually Pluto was so, such, such a diverse and interesting place. And now we're going to learn more about other Kuiper Belt objects as New Horizons carries on. It flew past the object very, very, very quickly and it'll be sending out data over the coming months. So we'll slowly, as the, it, it's a very slow data rate from way out there in the solar system, and we'll slowly get more uh, as the mission uh, continues to send back data over the next uh, year or two. That's it for this month. Don't forget you can go online at pythagastro.uk and find past episodes of this podcast and also subscribe to updates. Until next month, goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Pythagorean Astronomy, an extended version of this month's Astronomy Roundup from Pythagoras' Trousers, a weekly science and technology radio show presented by me, Reese Phillips. You can catch up on full episodes of Pythagoras' Trousers, subscribe to our podcast and get in touch by going to www.pythagoras-trousers.radio.fm. Thank you.